Welcome on in to our Week 10 Big 12 Football Recap and Reaction Show on HeartlandCollegeSports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. It is great to be here with you as Saturday was a great week of Big 12 football. You had five games, a full slate of action, and we are now entering what we've entered now. The final month of the regular season. I cannot believe it's here. We're going to talk about every game. Appreciate you joining us on Facebook Live, on YouTube, on the podcast. Uh, Love you guys and really appreciate all you've done to help this show grow each and every day. And as a reminder on the podcast, rate, review, subscribe. You'll get that free Heartland College Sports Koozie. When you send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. So uh, let's get right to it. Let's talk about these games in order for the Big 12 on Saturday and Week 10. Let's start off with TCU and Texas Tech. So uh, this game, you know, Texas Tech, I got to give them credit. They were hanging in there for a while. And then at 20-17, to 17, TCU leading early in the fourth quarter, Joy McGuire decides he's going to go for it on like fourth and two from his own 36-yard line. Now, I didn't agree with the move at the time. I thought, and I know that this is what Texas Tech does. A lot of you guys are going to sit there and you're going to say, well, Texas Tech's been going for it on fourth down in their own end zone. Not own end zone, but on their own end of the field all season long. That is true. That is absolutely true. But while the analytics may suggest that's the play, sometimes common sense should win out and a feel for the game should win out. And Texas Tech's defense had been confusing Max Duggan all afternoon. He was not playing good football, and you got to give credit to what that TCU defense was doing. You know, Duggan didn't have a star receiver, Quentin Johnston, and things were not going well for TCU offensively. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, if Texas Tech kicks the ball here, they're going to pin it, hopefully for them, deep into the TCU end of the field, and they are one Big mistake away from Max Duggan to a turnover, pick six, fumble, whatever. But they didn't do that. They went for it on fourth down. Donovan Smith couldn't get the ball up the middle. And then TCU scores like three plays later. TCU ends up going up 27-17. to And then next drive, Texas Tech approaching midfield. They go for it again on a fourth and four. They don't get it. TCU goes and scores a touchdown. And that's game, set, match. Like, I understand what the analytics show. I understand why Texas Tech plays the way they do. I've come to accept it. I didn't really get it early in the season, but I understand it now. But sometimes the feel for the game should exceed whatever the analytics say. And that's an important part of being the head coach. I'm not saying you don't use the analytics, but you balance the analytics with what the feel is in the game. And I thought the coaching staff for Texas Tech made a major mistake there at that point in the game. Now, the other side of this is, well, you know, TCU was starting to build momentum. I mean, not really. It was a three-point game with like 12 minutes left. That's an enormous amount of time in a college football game. 12 minutes to go. You're down 20 to 17. Your defense has done a great job keeping Max Duggan in check all afternoon. He was not comfortable most of the day, and that's where you go for it on a fourth and two? I Yeah, I just didn't like that. I would have rather punted it, see if your defense can make a play, and if not, you're still down, you know, three points. 
even if they come down and kick a field goal, you're down one score. I did not get it, and I feel like it signals an over-reliance on the analytics. Now, you got to hand it to Texas Tech. They're doing all this without an offensive line. I mean, you got to give them credit. You know, they worked in three quarterbacks again yesterday. They're playing with an undefeated top 10 team in the country on the road. Like, I'm a big Joey McGuire guy. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, please, because Tech fans always, I mean, Tech fans seem to think I've got it out against them, and I don't. I'm a Joey McGuire guy. I want to see him do well. I think he will do well. But that move on Saturday against TCU did not make any sense to me. It didn't. So TCU goes on to win the game, 34-24 against Texas Tech. And uh, Kendra Miller, I mean, I say it every week. I'm a broken record, but Kendra Miller, baby, 158 rushing yards, still the most underappreciated, under-talked-about skill position player in the entire Big 12. No Quentin Johnston. You know what kind of impact that's going to have on uh, the TCU offense. And they made it work. They got the job done. And, you know, there were a lot of guys catching balls on the outside for TCU. Uh, You know, Darius Davis and Tay Barber led the way. But a lot of guys doing a lot of good work. And uh, give them a lot of credit. Nine tackles for loss for the TCU defense. Four sacks. And Tech's defense did one better. I mean, this is to reiterate how good Tech's defense was on Saturday. Four sacks against TCU, 10 tackles for loss. They were all over the place. I just thought that the decision to go for fourth and two also, also was a reliance or basically saying that you don't trust your own defense if you draw McGuire, and you should trust this defense. It's exceeded all expectations this season, and it was playing great football on Saturday. So all in all, uh, confused by that one, This is not the blowout. I mean, a 10-point game is not a blowout, but Tech got that late kind of garbage time touchdown. This is not the game. This was not the game that people perceive it to be if they were to look at the box score. Texas Tech was right in this thing till the very end, and they just a couple of decisions went haywire, and TCU ends up improving to 9-0, and TCU should absolutely be in the top four on Saturday, or on Tuesday. No doubt in my mind about that. Next up, Next up, we've got Baylor-Oklahoma. Baylor wins the game 38-35 to on Saturday. So uh, Baylor has now won three Big 12 games in a row. Oklahoma's two-game winning streak is over. They're now 2-4 and four in conference play. So Baylor, to me, as I'm watching this game, and this is why I picked Baylor plus 3.5 as my lock of the week. Baylor was just the better team on both sides of the ball. I, they, they just were. I mean, they, they demolished OU on the ground, and this was the biggest reason I thought Oklahoma would win this game. Now, Oklahoma did a great job running the ball as well, but Baylor did a better job. Baylor demolished Oklahoma 281 rushing yards. Five rushing touchdowns. Squirrel Williams, 192 on the ground. 25 carries, 192 rushing yards, and a couple of scores. Richard Reese, who had been carrying this team on the ground as a freshman the last few weeks, only had four carries. I mean, just ride the hot hand. That was smart for Dave Aranda. Uh, Ride the hot hand. And that's exactly what they did in this game. 281 rushing yards. Oklahoma's defense, my goodness, that rushing defense is just terrible. It's been terrible all season long. OU came in giving up 190 rushing yards per game, 
which was the most in the Big 12 by 30 yards per game. That's how bad the run defense has been for OU. And now it's, I, I got to look at the averages, but it's probably right around 200 rushing yards per game they're giving up now throughout the season. I mean, it's been that bad. It really has been. And, uh, you know, they picked off Dylan Gabriel three times on the other side of the ball for Baylor. And you know what? I mean, you look at that and you say to yourself, you win the turnover battle on the road. You outgain your opponent on the ground. You own the time of possession. You're going to win the game nine times out of ten. That's what's going to happen. And it's got to be weird uh, for OU fans, I understand, to be this late in the season, not bowl eligible, two and four in conference play. Like, we knew there was rebuilding to be done, but I do think it's also fair to say, yes, there's a rebuild, but Oklahoma still has, top to bottom, one of the most talented rosters in this league. So I can't just say, well, OU's rebuilding. It is still one of the most talented rosters in this league. Let's be very clear. Let's be very, very clear about that. But um, it's not working out for them. It's not. I mean, they beat a couple of bad teams the last two weeks in Iowa State and Kansas, last two games. Not bad teams. Kansas is 500. But... At that point, Kansas was a worn-down team. They were on a backup quarterback. Uh, they were off, you know, a first month of the season that was an emotional high. So they had to come down, back down the earth a little bit. So they got Kansas at the right time. Iowa State's not very good. And OU took advantage of them. But, I mean, it's just weird to think about Oklahoma and say, I can make a case. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But I can make a case that OU at two and four in the Big Twelve finishes three and six. Now they have an easier part of their schedule here coming up at West Virginia versus Oklahoma State at Texas Tech. Not easy, nothing's easy in the Big Twelve, but easier than say how they started the season in Big Twelve play, K State TCU in Texas, that's brutal. Absolutely brutal. But could you make a case they lose two of those games? Yeah. I can make a case they win all three as well. So if they finish up, you know, uh, what would be five and four in the Big 12, you feel better about things. But they're just, it's not a complete football team right now. And I get Brent Venables has to get his guys in there. I understand all that. But there's a lot, too, that's just not going well for him right now. It's just not. And I would have expected Venables to adjust to this point in the season, and it simply hasn't happened. It hasn't. Uh, next up, as we talk about Week 10 in the Big 12 Conference, I'm Pete Mundo on HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Uh, where do we go next? Okay. Iowa State, West Virginia. Iowa State picks up a 31-14 win. They got their first Big 12 victory of the season. Both teams are now 1-5 in, in conference play. And this was one of those games where I need to put in for hazard pay on the job. Now, I don't know how I do that since I own the company, but I'm going to figure it out because this game was a nightmare to watch. Now, at the time, there were three Big 12 games going on while this game was being played. You had Baylor, Oklahoma taking place. You had West Virginia, Iowa State going on. And then, of course, you had the Oklahoma State-Kansas game happening. So I'm trying to monitor all three, and I admit this is one of those games where I'm like, thank goodness there are three games happening because this one makes me want to gouge out my eyeballs. I just, I mean, it's just ugly all around. Terrifying game in so many ways. But Iowa State, to its credit, actually scored some points. 
Xavier Hutchinson uh, is the star offensively of this team. 10 catches, 123 yards, and a touchdown. He broke his own single-season record for receptions. Hunter Deckers had a solid game. Not a great game, but a solid game. Uh, You hope this can be a confidence boost for him. And then finally, Iowa State got something going on the ground. Now it's against West Virginia, and West Virginia is not a good defense and just not a very good team. But you know what? You take the small wins. If you're Iowa State and you rush for 172 yards and two scores, you say, you know what? I'm not apologizing for that, and nor should you. Nor should you. Defensively, Iowa State didn't get to the quarterback like maybe I thought they could or would in this game and have the opportunity to do that. They just, it didn't really happen. The Iowa State offensive line still has issues. Dante Stills felt like he was in the backfield every other play on Saturday for West Virginia. But uh, if you're Iowa State, you just say, thank goodness we got a win. We're moving on. We're uh, one in five. You still got a chance at a bowl game. And you're on the next week. I mean, that's how you got to look at this thing if you're an Iowa State fan. Because it's West Virginia. You're not going to take much out of this. Now for the Mountaineers. I said on Friday that if Neil Brown doesn't cover the spread, which was seven points, against a bad Iowa State offense, West Virginia should leave him on the tarmac a la Lane Kiffin, USC. Now, I didn't really mean that because it's a douche move, but in all seriousness, when does this end? Like, when does all this come to an end? It's not working for Neil Brown and West Virginia. It hasn't worked for Neil Brown and West Virginia. It is not going to happen for Neil Brown at West Virginia. When do we put this to bed for everybody and just say, you know, Neil Brown seems like a great guy. I'm not going to take anything away from him. He seems like a really good man, a good father. I mean, he just comes across that way. But Neil Brown, in his fourth season now, is 20 and 24 overall and 12 and 20 in Big 12 play in year four. And don't tell me you can't win in year one. Look at Sonny Dykes at TCU. Never mind year four. So you have trusted the climb if you're a West Virginia fan. I admire that. The West Virginia fan base, to its credit, I believe overall, has stood behind Neil Brown longer than most fan bases would would stand behind a coach who has been mediocre at best. He really hasn't even been mediocre, but mediocre at best over the last nearly four seasons. But now you're looking at this and saying, it's not going to happen. And what would, you, what would lead you to believe it's going to happen? This team is not just bad, it's undisciplined. And when you're, a, when you're a, a coach and you've got the team that is the most penalized team in the Big 12 with West Virginia is with 57 penalties on the season, and you're a bad team. It's not like you got all these stars and you got a ton of talent and you're high flying and you're all over the field, but sometimes guys get dinged for a penalty here or there. It's a bad team that's also sloppy and undisciplined. And they go on the road, and they, they've been embarrassed on the road this year in the Big 12. They lost to Texas by 18, 
That game was 28-0 in the blink of an eye. They got blown out in Lubbock 48-10, and they lost yesterday to Iowa State 31-14, an Iowa State team that couldn't put together a couple of touchdown drives to save its life all season long. They couldn't rush for 100 yards in a game if there were 10 defenders on the field. Iowa State puts up uh, 170-some-odd yards on the ground against your defense. And offensively, I I really thought that uh, Graham Harrell would bring uh, a little bit of intrigue to this offense. JT Daniels, Graham Harrell, I thought that was going to be a nice combination. It hasn't worked. It hasn't panned out that way. It's not going to happen for Neil Brown at West Virginia. So let's just all rip the Band-Aid off. Let's just all rip the Band-Aid off, call it a day, figure out the buyout situation, and West Virginia has to move on. I'm not going to talk about where they go from there. Let's wait for that moment to happen. But it's best for both sides right now because this isn't working. And West Virginia fans deserve better than what's been taking place on the field for the last nearly four years. I know we had a rebuild, but you don't get five years to rebuild when you've got a program like West Virginia, which has been able to compete at basically every level of college football and every conference it's been a part of in college football. They've been in the mix. So I wish Neil Brown well. He seems like a great guy. But this is not working, and uh, it is it is time for everybody to move on. It really is. I'm Pete Mundo on HeartlandCollegeSports.com covering the Big 12. It's great to be with you as we continue with our Week 9 uh, reaction show. Let's, uh, let's dive into the next game. Kansas beating Oklahoma State 37-16. So got to give the Jayhawks credit. They lose three in a row. They hit the bye week. They regroup. And now you've got a situation where Kansas is bowl eligible. How about that? Bowl eligible for the first time since 2008. You know, in 2009, KU started off 5-0 and and then lost seven straight to end the season. That's not happening this time around. There were some concerns that could happen. But they dominated Oklahoma State. Uh, Jason Bean, got to give him credit, the backup quarterback to Jalen Daniels has done very well, has been really in a tough spot, uh, played impressive football. They didn't lose three straight games because of Jason Bean's performance. But on Saturday, 18-23, 203 passing yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He rushed for 93 yards, including a 73-yard touchdown scamper. He was doing it all. And then Devin Neal. What a monster game for Devin Neal. 334 yards between rushing and receiving, uh, 224 on the ground, 110 through the air, absolute stud performance for Devin Neal. Uh, you got to love the fact that Lance Leipold has come in here, he's identified the talent, he has put these guys to work, and, uh, you know, Devin Neal's a sophomore, man. I mean, look at this guy. This guy's a sophomore. What a season he's having. Knowing he's going to be back, he's going to be he's already one of the more explosive players in the Big 12. That's only going to continue for this Kansas program. Defensively, they looked vastly improved. 
They only allowed 3.2 yards per carry on the ground to Oklahoma State, and Kansas had been given up about a buck 60 on the ground. They were in the backfield, a couple of sacks, six tackles for loss, five quarterback hurries. Now, the Oklahoma State offensive line, and I'll get to the Cowboys situation here in a second, but I have got to give all the credit to Lance Leipold. They regrouped. They look refreshed coming out of the bye week, and I thought that bye week was so needed for Kansas for so many reasons. You know, I mean, this team had been on an emotional roller coaster. 5-0 and start, ranked, field stormings, college game day, the whole thing. It was crazy the first month plus of the season. Then Daniels goes down against TCU. They have to regroup. They lose a couple of games. They're worn out physically. They're worn out emotionally. The bye was at a perfect time. And this Kansas team is now bowl eligible for the first time in 14 years. Lance Leipold is the college football coach of the year, no doubt in my mind, after this victory over Oklahoma State. Now, Oklahoma State was playing without Spencer Sanders, but I'm not quite sure it would have mattered. Now, Garrett Rangel, uh, the true freshman, came in through interceptions on his first couple of drives. He actually settled down as the game went on and looked better as the game progressed. That's a tough spot for a true freshman on the road. He finished 27 of 40 for 304 yards, two touchdowns, three picks. The problem for Oklahoma State, and this has been the problem now for a couple of seasons running, they can't get the ball moving on the ground. Like when there's a game when you want to, when you're on the road, you got a true freshman starting, you want to establish the running game, and Oklahoma State can't do it. And I don't really think it's lack of talent at the running back position. I, I don't. It's the offensive line. The offensive line is, now Oklahoma State fans are going to know this, but the offensive line has been a mess in Stillwater. It just has not been good. And it was really bad on Saturday. I mean, really, really bad on Saturday. The defense also was uh, nothing to write home about. They didn't really get to the quarterback, Jason Bean, at all in this game. Uh, No sacks, only a couple tackles for loss. They did not do a good job on that front. And we knew the defense was leaky. Apparently, Derek Mason reamed out his guys at halftime, the defensive coordinator for the Cowboys, and he did that, that went so well that Kansas started off the second half with a 15-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. So what's that tell you? <laughs> I mean, you know, at some point, Derek Mason's got to start catching some heat, too, in year one. I'm not saying he's going anywhere or anything like that. We knew the defense was turning over from last year's incredible defense led by Jim Knowles. So I'm not saying get rid of the guy, but uh, at all. That's not what I'm suggesting right now. Maybe I'll feel differently at the end of the season, but uh, the defense has got to start showing some progress for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. It's not right now. Kansas had 350 yards at halftime. They ended the game with 554 total yards. Kansas rushed for 351 yards. Seven and a half yards per carry. I mean, you got to stop somebody you got to be able to tackle and stop somebody. And this defense couldn't do it against Kansas. It just could not do it. So all in all, a a great win for Kansas. They're bowl eligible. And Oklahoma State is very much a reeling team right now. Next up, as we talk about these Big 12 football games from Week 10, last but certainly not least, the game of the night, Texas beating Kansas State 34-27. to so uh, Texas is now six and three. Kansas State six and three. Both teams are four and two in Big Twelve play. Texas got off to a great start. They were up thirty-one ten at halftime. Kansas State was coming back, 
in the second half, and uh, they had a chance on the final drive of the game, and then Adrian Martinez fumbled the ball. It was recovered by Texas, and that was essentially the ball game. Now let's just jump right to that final drive. Kansas State fans were blowing up my phone, just so ticked off at Chris Kleiman. Some were upset that Adrian Martinez got the start. I watched the game, obviously, and Adrian Martinez made some plays. You want to call it street ball, that's fine. But he made some plays, throwing the ball and with his legs, that kept them in this game. That played a very important role in the comeback. Now I get the fumble, and I'm going to get to the coaching staff on that front in a second. But to me, Adrian Martinez is, frankly, the reason that Kansas State had a chance on that final drive because of how he played in that second half. Now, the first half, the first half was just a disaster, but it was a disaster because of the defense. It was a disaster because Steve Sarkeesian basically said, beat B. John Robinson, and Kansas State's like, we can't. Kansas State, on its first two drives, scored 10 points. The problem is Texas scored 21 points on their first three drives. So, like, Kansas State got off to a fine start offensively, right? You have to admit that. But when you can't stop anybody and you can't stop Bijan Robinson on the ground, and I understand, you know, Oklahoma State doesn't have a Bijan Robinson, but you shut out Oklahoma State last week, and then Texas puts up 21 points on their first three drives, and none of those drives were longer than 321. I mean, they were they were quick bang, bang, bang drives. Literally, three touchdowns, all three drives under three and a half minutes. That's what I'm looking at for why Kansas State lost this game. And the defense locked down in the second half, to their credit, forced a fumble, punt, punt, uh, force a field goal, punt. I, like, they did a good job once they started to get settled down. But you're playing down 31-10. I mean, no one's built. Very few teams are built to come back from 31-10. Never mind Kansas State. I said before the game that Kansas State can only or will win this game if they dominate time of possession, if they control the ball, if they do all. And they did win time of possession, but I didn't expect Texas to put together three touchdown drives out of the gate of three and a half minutes each. So I didn't see that part coming. So even though they won time of possession, it's, it's mis, mistelling the story based on how the story actually went on Saturday. But, I, you know, K-State's just not built to come out of that kind of a hole. So they played some street ball, and it didn't work out for them ultimately on that final drive. Now, as for that final drive for Kansas State, I'm watching it. They're down 34-27. They're moving the ball down the field. And after they convert that fourth down, I'm going, timeout, timeout, you got two. There's 30 seconds left. Use the timeout, climbing. You got two left. That means you still have one in your back pocket if you need it. Didn't use it. At that point, the emotion was as such. Guys' legs were tired. It was the eighth play of the dr- ninth play of the drive you were about to do. Use the timeout. Give your guys a blow. Let them get some water on the sidelines. Let them regroup. Now, Kleiman said he was going to use one after the next play. I know you want to keep Texas on its heels a little bit, but your guys are burnt. They've made a huge second-half comeback. They've been on the field for a ton in that second half. 
I mean, right before that final drive of the game, they had a 13-play drive that took six minutes off the clock. They were tired. Then they were playing. It was the ninth play of the drive on the final drive of the game. They're burnt. You got to know when to use the timeout there. You have to use it if you're Chris Kleiman, and he didn't use it on that play. And that was a mistake. That wasn't Monday morning quarterbacking. I was like, I was doing this thing. I was doing it from the couch. I know many of you were as well. So that's where I'm watching this, and I'm saying, Kleiman screwed up. But I don't think he screwed up because he started Adrian Martinez over Will Howard. I know that's been a popular uh, conversation and talking point for K-State fans. I wouldn't agree with that. And I was a huge, and you know, we're all watching Will Howard the last couple of weeks and saying that guy gets the ball vertically downfield better than Adrian Martinez. I agree. But Martinez was not bad on that front for the most part on Saturday. And his wheels certainly kept him in this game and uh, helped him down the stretch to get back into the game. But Texas now improves to uh, 4-2 and two in Big 12 play. And college game day is going to Austin next weekend for Texas and TCU. Can you believe it? It's the third Big 12 game they've been a part of. Texas-Alabama, I mean, half a Big 12 game. Kansas-TCU, and now Texas-TCU. So TCU and Texas playing each other. This is now the second college game day experience for both of those teams this year. Go figure. Pretty fun stuff. I'm Pete Mundo. Great to be with you guys as always. Thank you for joining us on the Week 10 Recap and Reaction Show. Hope that you'll uh, subscribe to the channel on YouTube, share this on Facebook, and of course on the podcast. Hit that five star. It takes you 30 seconds to leave a rating and a review. It helps this show grow tremendously. We can't thank you guys enough for doing that, for being a part of it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. And uh, yes, I saw some of you noticing my my uh, my fleece I got on here, my vest. Go Chiefs. Go Chiefs. We'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great day. Take care. Pete Mundo, HeartlandCollegeSports.com.